0: All right. Galatians chapter five. How many of you have been here since we've been going through Galatians? Okay, most of you. Not everybody's hand is up though, so I'm going to just give a very quick recap. So we have been going through the book of Galatians. I said this last week, I love topical preaching, but I also love exegetical preaching. I love coming straight from the word and letting the word be the message. And so that's what what we've been doing. We have gone through every single chapter of Galatians leading up to this point where we're at in five. So if you've not gone back and listened and you've missed some, I want to encourage you, go back and listen. Um, We went through Galatians 4 last week, the week before, 2 and 3. Um, Then Father's Day, we we took a slight break, and the week before that, Wanda did such an amazing job of kicking us off on Galatians 1. All right, so quick recap, who wrote Galatians? Paul, so glad we know that one. What is the central theme of Galatians? Freedom in Christ, okay, you cannot read Galatians and not be free. I want to challenge you. Cannot read Galatians and not start to feel free. Some of you, you need to read it again. All right. Paul is writing perhaps an encyclical letter sent to the four cities of southern Galatia to deal with the Judaizers perverting the gospel in the region. So we know this background. There were some Jews that were coming in and saying, you need to add the law to your faith. Okay, does everyone remember what I'm talking about? Okay, they were trying to come in and pervert the gospel. This is why Paul in Galatians 1, normally Paul gives a nice exhortation, and usually that even lasts a chapter sometimes. Well, not in Galatians. In Galatians, Paul's writing to the church at Galatia, and he's like, in the grace of God, and then he's like, Hey, you're distorting the gospel. Literally, starts right out of the gate in Galatians 1.6. Okay? So they saw, the, they were trying to come in and pervert the gospel. The Jews saw the freedom of the Gentiles, and it offended them. And so they were telling them, you can't actually be this free in Jesus. Do you remember what we said last week? Freedom is offensive to those without it. Oh, that's a word too. Freedom is offensive to those without it. All right, when was it written? Most likely somewhere around 48 AD. Uh, This was not written to a specific city. It was written to a region. Galatia was a region located in north central Asia Minor. All right, so Galatians 2 and 3. Wesley did a great job talking about what it means to live by faith. By faith, okay? You need to go back and catch that message if you missed it. Um, One important verse, Galatians 2.21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you can get righteousness on your own, you don't need Jesus. That's the point, right? If you can do it, then he, he died for nothing. And that's what Paul's trying to say. All right, Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in, G- in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, and this leads us into Galatians 4. Does anyone remember what we talked about last week in Galatians 4? Help me out. Son of the bonds, that's it right there. So we, we, we compared and contrasted slaves and free. Orphan, sons and daughters. And we looked at Hagar and Ishmael, and then we looked at Abraham, the covenant that God gave to Abraham, and the difference between the two okay the covenant that god gave to moses the mosaic law was a conditional covenant who remembers what a conditional covenant is if you do that i'll do this if you follow the law i'll do this what did god tell abraham i will God's covenant with Abraham, that he pro- his promise to Abraham, didn't involve Abraham needing to do something. It was God will do it. That's the difference between the two. Jesus fulfilled the law, which is the reason why in Galatians 4 we have Paul saying, Hey, why are you trying to go back to the covenant on Mount Sinai when the reality is that you're from the promise covenant? You're, you're a son of promise, he says. Okay, so this is Galatians 4, okay? We looked at what's the difference between acting like an orphan and acting like a son or daughter. One's fear-based, one's freedom-based. One is spent in insecurity, the other is in security because I know who I am in Christ. Okay, does this make sense? Are we good? Is everybody caught up? Okay. If you're not, you need to go back and catch the podcast. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Lord, we just bless this time. I ask you that as we open your word that you would awaken something within us. I thank you for each and every person in the room. I just bless what you're doing. And we thank you for your word that is living and active this morning. Sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. We ask you and we just open up our hearts to let it pierce us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians 5. Paul starts with a bang. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. All right, this is just carrying us right from four, right? Another way to say this would be for us to be able to enjoy and live in freedom, we have to know that Christ is the one who set us free. Okay? Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. What's he saying? His point is the same one that we've been talking about for a while, right? There is no point because of Jesus. You can't have it both ways. Right? You can't have it both ways. And so he's saying, if you receive this, if you're going to follow the law, then Jesus died needlessly. It's Galatians 2 again. Okay? Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. See, here you go. You have to keep the whole law. Verse four: You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. That's a really, it's a really bold statement, right? All right, what's he saying? He's saying no one can be justified in two ways at once. Okay, you can't be justified by faith and by your own effort. Oof, that's it. It's all or nothing. As far as faith and grace are concerned. So, listen. So, the pers- to pursue the law in your own efforts, you have fallen from grace because you are saying, I can obtain salvation and faith without grace by following the law. Yeah. Thus, I can, and if you can, you don't need grace because grace is a gift and grace comes through faith in Jesus. Does this make sense? Okay. What is grace? Wesley did a great job defining things a couple Sundays ago. Um, My definition of grace is God's empowering presence and unmerited favor. Okay, grace is the empowering presence of God and it's unmerited favor that you didn't necessarily deserve, but it's a gift that he gives you. All right, verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, by what? by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now, I love this. Waiting. Okay, that's an interesting statement, right? Because we have, we are righteous. So why would we be waiting for the hope of righteousness? Who has a thought here? Why are we waiting for the hope of righteousness? Okay. Yes. Okay. The work of salvation is was, is finished is still being work, working out and will be okay what's the point the point is Jesus said it is finished and so the work of salvation in that respect is done but you're there's a sanctification that's happening that you're walking out so you're saved you're being saved and you will be saved what's the will be saved who knows when Jesus comes back what does it say in the book of Titus it says we look to the blessed hope what's the point the point is that there's an aspect of salvation that's being worked out and there's an aspect of salvation that we get to look to when Jesus splits the sky and he comes back to earth and there's a final plan of redemption that has yet to unfold that's going to mean he's going to come and he's not, he's going to set everything right. That is good. So when Paul says, when he says, we are waiting for the hope of righteousness, that's an opportunity for you to say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. All right, verses six, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but what faith working through love verse 7 you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth right here's Paul again he's just hey you were doing great what happened what happened guys Verse 8, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. This is not something from God. Verse 9, everybody should probably know this verse. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Okay, what's he saying, right? A little yeast gets into the dough, and it's not just... It's not just that there's a little bit. Yeast is going to impact. That whole dough is going to change because of one small ingredient. So what happens? One small thing gets injected into the culture of the church. And if you're not careful and if you're not willing, and Paul is obviously willing because he says, you foolish Galatians, right? If you're not willing to listen to someone, to be accountable to someone, What happens is the entire culture can change because of a little bit. This is what happens in church all the time. It's really sobering to me. As a leader, it's it's a reason that I want to walk in deep, deep levels of humility and accountability. Because without it, just a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole dough. I remember one time I was preaching here. (laughs) It's a great story and I was talking about Mary, okay, and I was, it was, I'm sure it was a great message, and I was just rolling on about Mary, and I, I was reading three different passages, or at least two to three different passages about Mary, and I, what I did was, is I combined all the Marys into one Mary, and so I get done with this message, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling all right about myself, you know, and I, my, my dad, as a father, as an apostolic father in my life and in this house, he was like, hey, great message. If You know my dad, you know he'd start that way. <laughs> great message, right? Great message, but you know, there's, you mentioned three different Marys. It doesn't, it's not just one Mary. And I was like, ooh, ouch, that's true. What did I do? Like, I can't believe I did that, you know? And then I'm like, man. And so then I remember, I think I even mentioned it in staff meeting to our staff, like, look, I'm sorry I mentioned, I made, I made a mistake, you know, it should have been three Marys, it's one Mary, I, I was talking about the Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Mary of Bethany, not just Mary, the mother of Jesus, you know. Why am I sharing that story? Because thank God for accountability. I need it. We all need it. There's an invitation. Look, one of the biggest hindrances that people make is theology is just one person. It's not community. Theology has to be done in community. Or else we run into the old days where the priests were the only ones who could read. And everything that they were saying had to be taken as gospel. And they were not quoting the gospel. Okay? So we need accountability. I need accountability. So thank God for my my dad... And I am more than willing to get up here on a Sunday morning and say, I'm sorry, I blew it. There's three different Marys in those passages, guys. Thank you for helping me out. We need to be humble and accountable. I'm going to be at the top of that poll. All right. Where are we? Verse 10. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Wow, that's a pretty bold verse. All right, so what Paul is saying here is he doesn't actually know who the person is that's kind of leading this thing. Right? He doesn't know who this person is. He knows that the Judaizers are coming in, but he doesn't know who's like the ringleader, who's leading this thing. And what he's saying is, is he says, the Lord is the one who will bring judgment because the Lord is the righteous judge. Listen, I, I don't have time to talk about this today because th- but this is a topic that we need to spend more time on. Because there's a a viewpoint in church today that is very much like God loves, therefore he doesn't judge. Because the fact that God would be righteous judge kind of offends us. But the reality is scripture is very clear. When the end comes, you will make an account for yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. Thank God, right? I make mistakes. That's not the point. The point is that when the end comes, God loves you so much. The point is that you are to live your life knowing that you will one day give an account before him. So this individual one day will stand before God and give an account For all that we do. There's another great verse in the Bible that says this. He who he loves, he disciplines. Ah, I can't preach about that today, but that's a good word. We don't like to talk about discipline. We don't like to talk about testing. We don't like to talk about suffering. We don't like to talk about the fact that God is the righteous judge. We like to talk about this side of things over here, but we don't like talking about that. And I think it's because we're afraid. We're not to be afraid of it. It's to propel us deeper into him. I just lost some of you, I know. Listen, God is love, but his love doesn't negate our ability to make a choice through free will that we will have to make an account for directly to him in the end. All right, verse 11. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. So, it's kind of an interesting verse. If I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? I think what Paul is saying is there must have been a rumor floating around that Paul was preaching circumcision. And what he's saying is is he's saying, "Hey guys, do you understand that if I were preaching that, why am I persecuted?" Meaning that's not really true. Okay? And then he says, "Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished." So Paul's saying, "If I preach it, then why am I persecuted?" meaning he's not. And so he's like I'm being persecuted. So clearly that rumor is false. I'm not really teaching circumcision. These people are coming in and saying that I'm teaching circumcision so that they so that you will fall into what they're trying to tell you, which is you got to have the law. Law and faith together, which we know is not actually the gospel. Verse 12. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Wow. Woo, hello, Paul. Simmer down a bit, right? What's he saying? Who has a thought? Anybody? Why not just go all the way? That's it why not just go all the way? If you're going to go so far as circumcision, why not just go as far as some other religions and cults do and just completely castrate yourself all the way? That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to go part of the way, just go all of the way. Don't just go part of the way and then think that you can have faith too. What's he saying? He's saying, look, there's no lukewarmness here. You're either in or you're out. So if you're going to be out, just go out all the way. Just go follow other religions or go, go do this or go do that. But the point is you can't have it both ways. And so they were trying to add a little, like, yay, faith, and then add law to it and say, well, we can have a little bit of faith and we can have a little bit of law together and we can get circumcised and that's okay. And Paul's like, no, it's not okay. Are you in or are you out? It's a pretty tough verse, isn't it? I love tough verses. <laughs> verse 13. For you who were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but tr- through love serve one another. So here's the point. You were called to freedom. It's the whole point of Galatians, right? Freedom! You're called to freedom. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, what is it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here, when he says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, he's saying, don't let your freedom... Become a license to do whatever you want or say whatever you want. Serve others through love. Does that make sense? All right, verse 15. This is another fun one. But if you bite and devour one another, wow, take care that you are not consumed by one another. What's he saying? Who has a thought? Yell it out. You bite and devour. Be careful that you're not consumed. What do you think? Tension, strife. Here's what Paul's saying. It goes back to verse 9. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole dough. So what he's saying is this. If you continue to stay in a place of contention with each other, you run the risk of destroying each other. Meaning the entire church at Galatia being consumed by a distortion of the gospel. If you continue to bite and devour one another, be careful that it doesn't consume you and you end up completely falling into it. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. If you continue to fight amongst each other, you may well lead each other into destruction. All right, verse 16. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But I say, walk by the what? And you will not what? There it is. We can go home. That's it. You want to know how to live your life? Walk by the Spirit. And I will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I want to spend a little bit of time in this next passage here. Because this is really, really big. What's he saying? Live your life by the empowering of the Spirit. This is beautiful. That word walk is the Greek word peripateo, and it means to be occupied with. So you can get the sense of walking, and when you walk with the Spirit, you're occupied by the Spirit. Which, guess what? If you're occupied by the Spirit, what can you not be also occupied by? Oh, that's good. So what happens? I walk occupied with the Spirit. There's not room for me to follow the deeds of the flesh if I'm walking by the Spirit. My focus, my gaze is on what is the Spirit doing. The Spirit leads, directs, empowers, and gives you strength. So the flesh, that word flesh is basically meaning the carnal way. Your way will lead you one way and the spirit another. So the question at hand is, which one are you letting lead your life? Because guess what? The two are not going in the same direction. And he's about to make that abundantly clear below. Okay? The two are not going in the same direction. This verse is one of the crucial verses that brought me freedom in my life this verse, because I realized the answer to really walking in lasting freedom is to walk by the Spirit, and if my desire within me is towards following the Spirit, then it's very easy for me to see what the desires of the flesh are trying to do because I'm walking by the Spirit, and it's two very different things. Listen to the Spirit. I remember one time I was feeding my daughter Adeline when she was a baby, and I was watching a TV show. I know, I'm, I watched some TV. No. Um, I was watching a TV show, and I was watching this one episode, and this show had been all right so far, and I, I was just watching it, and all of a sudden, the husband in the show began to cheat on his wife. This happens all the time on TV, by the way. Okay? And I'm not trying to put any condemnation or judgment. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me. Okay? In that moment, I remember turning it off when it was done and feeling so slimed. Like I felt it. Like I was like, something is wrong. I am not. Something is off. And I began to ask the Holy Spirit about it. I was like, Holy Spirit, what, like, what is going on? Like, my day was great, and then all of a sudden I watched a show, and now I'm feeling like I need to do deliverance or something, you know? Like, what, what is happening? And I, I very clearly heard the Holy Spirit say, you just let something into the atmosphere that you don't need to let in the atmosphere. It doesn't matter if it was just a TV show. You let adultery... A man cheating on his wife come into an atmosphere, and you need to get rid of it now. And I remember, I was like, I'm not watching this show again. I didn't watch another episode because I could feel it. What's my point through all of this? When you're walking by the Spirit, I'm just going to tell you right now, when you are walking by the Spirit, you're going to know when something's off. You're going to know when something's off, and you're going to know it not because you know it, but because the Holy Spirit inside of you is bringing something to mind that you need to take care of, and you need to pay attention to it. And so in that moment, I took one step back, and I was like, something is wrong. And when I addressed it, I realized I'm letting something into this atmosphere that has the ability to infect my marriage, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to stand for it. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh was trying to come in, but the Spirit was like, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. Look at what's happening. This is the little yeast impacting the dough. The opportunity in front of you through the Holy Spirit is to get rid of that yeast before it infects the dough. The problem is, is we open doors. We open doors. We open doors that we think is just fine. We can handle it. It's all going to be okay. And we let a little bit of yeast leaven the whole dough. And God is raising a church that says, I'm not going to let the yeast infect the dough. I'm going to see the yeast for what it is the deeds of the flesh and i'm going to walk by the spirit and i'm going to say no not because it's me in my own flesh saying no but we're going to find out that guess who gives you the fruit of self control the spirit this is how this is how ministries fall it's the yeast infecting the dough. It doesn't start with a big scandal. It doesn't start with a big news headline. It doesn't start with, with adultery. It doesn't start with all of these things. It's the yeast. It's the little tiny, have you, like yeast is tiny, right? It's the little tiny thing that if unchecked has the ability to impact the whole culture. All right, we, gotta we got to continue because we're probably not going to finish. Felt like I had to spend time there. All right, natural or carnal desire unchecked and without walking with the Holy Spirit is like riding on an airplane without a pilot. How many of us want to ride on an airplane without a pilot? Not me. But if you're going to follow and walk in the way you think and walk with your desire and there's no checking it, it's as if you're attempting to pilot your own plane. And I don't know about you, unless you're a pilot in the room, but I, I have no idea how to pilot a plane. So if you are left to pilot your own plane, then you will crash because you don't know how to fly. Pilots learn how to fly from someone that has mastered flying. So you learn, grow, and mature as you walk by the Spirit. All right, we got to move on. Verse 17. For the flesh sets its its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. We already covered this. So that you may not do the things that you please. Now, that's an important line. Because without the Spirit, the things that we please are not our, our own desire. With the Spirit, we don't do the things that we please. We do the things that the Spirit is leading us. All right. But you are, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now he begins to list things. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which is witchcraft, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so he begins to, to rattle this list off, okay? What's the point of the list? To remind the Galatians of what their past slavery to sin had been before the gospel brought them freedom. Listen to this. This is a great quote by uh, Tyndale. I love the, the Tyndale commentaries, if you guys want to look that up. It's a great way to pair Scripture with a commentary. Anyway, Paul's whole, whole point, this is what he says, Paul's whole point is that those who do such things thereby show themselves to be without the transforming gift of faith, which leads to the gift of the promised spirit, which in turn leads to the fruits of the spirit, the seal of our inheritance. To all these things, the Christian has died already. Therefore, he or she shows the reality of the faith that justifies and the reality of the new life in Christ that is within by a clear break with all of these works of darkness, familiar though they may have been in the past. We aren't saying we don't make mistakes. What we're saying is that part of the reflection of a life that has decided to follow Jesus is to live walking by the Spirit. If you live walking by the Spirit, it will, not it might, it will produce a life that breaks from the deeds of the flesh. Not might. Some of you, you need to take might out of your vocabulary on this. You've been walking with a mindset that says, well, I'm going to try to do this, and I might be able to get freedom. Instead, you need to look at this, and you need to say, walking by the Spirit will produce a life that breaks from the deeds of the flesh. Overcoming the flesh doesn't have to be hard. Oh, man, that's going to offend some religious spirits in the room because the religious spirit wants you to attempt to overcome the flesh and make it really hard. Life with the spirit. The more you listen to, succumb to, be obedient to, be accountable to and live persuaded by the Holy Spirit, the more you find that the decision to say no to things of the flesh becomes easier. All right. What's the fruit but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no what? There's no law. Wow. Well, let's go ahead and finish the chapter. Now those who belong to Christ, verse 24, have, been cru- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is good. I love just, we just read a whole chapter. All right, let's go back just really quickly. I don't have a whole lot of time. If the sign comes on, please get your kids, bring them back in, but... Real quick, the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Let me ask you a question this morning Is this your role or his role? Why does that matter? We can't do it without him. There's a big difference. Between natural love and supernatural love. There's a big difference between natural joy and supernatural joy. There's a big difference between natural peace and supernatural peace. Natural kindness and supernatural kindness. Natural goodness, supernatural goodness. Natural faithfulness, supernatural faithfulness. Natural self-control That's me attempting to have self-control myself. I can't do that. I need supernatural self-control. What's my point? They're not normal, but supernatural. This is part of the difference in the way you live your life. If you walk by the Spirit, you will walk in these even when others don't because it isn't you producing them, the Spirit. This is the difference. Oh, man. This is the difference between somebody looking at your life and saying something is different. Why is that person joyful in the midst of suffering? Why does that person have peace when everything in the office is crazy right now? How can that person still think that there's goodness happening even when 2020 and all the stuff shaking and culture's happening? Why? Because it's not me that's producing it. It's the Spirit. And let me tell you something, the Spirit always elevates above issues. Always. The Spirit is here when we're here. Thank God. What's my point? This is how believers are to look different from the world. You want to be countercultural? This is the fruit. The fruit isn't yours, but of the Spirit. Supernatural love comes through the Spirit. Finding joy in the midst of great trial and suffering comes through the Spirit. Peace in the midst of chaos comes through the Spirit. Being able to say no to temptation comes through self-control by the Spirit. If self-control is on you, then you will live your life attempting to not sin instead of walking in freedom. Religion wants you to walk around trying to attempt not to sin. Freedom and the fruit of the Spirit makes you walk around and you go, sin just isn't even appealing. The deeds of the flesh are not appealing to me. Verse 25, if the Spirit is the source of your life, let the Spirit direct you. That's what he's saying. Look, if you're going to say the Spirit is your source, then walk with Him. I love what Peter Lewis says. He says, I think we have so many believers that are so focused on the chaos and the issues and then wonder why there is negativity, struggles, and an inability to live in joy and peace. It is because we have elevated the issue above Jesus and the empowerment of the Spirit. This is the difference between a church that's thriving and a church that's surviving. It's the outlook. What's your outlook? Are we a defeated church being tossed by the ways of the world, or are we a victorious church led by the Spirit? What's your outlook? And you get to choose, and there's a lot of believers that are getting so lost in the issues They're getting so lost in the way things look instead of elevating above it. The Spirit wants you to impact culture, not just agree with it and get tossed in the chaos of what's happening. It's time to elevate above. The Spirit empowers you above. You're not a defeated Christian succumbing to culture. You're a victorious Christian that desires to influence culture through the gospel, and the empowering of the Spirit. So many believers are struggling more with attempting to fix a broken world by earthly means than going out empowered by the Spirit to be the supernatural solution. So we have people that believe in Jesus that will tell you more about what God isn't doing and about how terrible things are, but when you ask them what they are doing about it, it's we just need God to do something. Uh Uh-oh. So we sit. Man, everything's tossed, so I'm going to get comfy and just ride this wave and just, God, do something. God is doing something. And he wants to do something through you. So that's the wrong question. So many believers are asking the wrong question. Can I tell you what the right question is? What is my role, Holy Spirit, to bring the kingdom into a dark world? Not just, Lord, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it through me? So I think what Paul is getting at here in Galatians 5.25 is that the reason we get so caught up in the flesh is we are tuned to the wrong channel. We're, we're just kind of like half-tuned between the spirit and the flesh, and we're like, yeah, this is okay, got a little bit of this and a little bit of that and the holy spirit's like no you got to turn the channel it's all got to be the spirit your source is the spirit so if you're going to say your source is the spirit walk by the spirit so many christians believe that they have to put up with the flesh instead of seeing it as crucified and then walking out sanctification by crucifying it daily by walking with the spirit Paul says, if your source is the Spirit, follow Him. There's a distinct difference in believers that just say that they follow Jesus and then those that actively follow the Holy Spirit in everyday life. This is the difference between a believer that really impacts culture and a believer that's just like, well, I follow Jesus and I'm just going to wait to go to heaven or until He returns. You're called To live in such a way that people see fruit of your life. And they go, man, something is different about that person. Something is different about that weird convergence church. They worship for a really long time. They've been taking communion every Sunday this year. Because we really take Paul's words seriously. Something is going on inside that church. What is it? What's happening? Why is that? Well, we're going to live empowered by the Spirit. So yeah, you're right. Something's different. You walk in here and you're like this is not normal it's a little might be a little crazy for some of you but we're we're okay with that we're good with that because we are going to do the mandate that god has given us and we are going to follow him and we're going to go after that and let me tell you things are going to start to shift not because we're having a good sunday meeting but because we leave this place with a deeper passion To live life empowered by the Spirit and to rise above and to say we are not defeated. We're victorious. We are not just going to try not to do the things of the flesh. We're going to walk with the fruit of the Spirit. This is what, oh, this will change your life if you get it. It will change everything about the way you live your life. It gives you greater purpose for your life. I'm getting real passionate this morning. You guys remember that stat that I, sh- that I shared a few weeks back? There was a Barna survey that said 47%. Scott Wood sent me this. I so appreciate it. 47% of believers that say they follow Jesus also say they don't practice or actually, like, practice their faith. So we have 47% of believers that say, I believe in Jesus, but they're not actually walking by the Spirit. They're not walking that out. They're not walking as if their job is to absolutely destroy darkness everywhere they go. They're walking just, just enough. They're just enough. They're, gonna, they're saying, I'm going to be a Christian just enough. No, let's go all in. What would happen if a church began to go all in on this? addictions would be not present the deeds of the flesh wouldn't even we'd be like i don't want to do that we would begin to see strongholds leave fear wouldn't be an issue like i can keep going life by the spirit you can't self-control yourself into true freedom You can fight not to sin or you can live free with the Spirit empowering your decisions and choices. Again, that doesn't mean you're not making a mistake but it means when you face temptation you aren't facing it by yourself. Some of you, you think you're facing temptation by yourself. Invite the Spirit in. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And He will begin to show you the way out. Rely on the fruit of the presence of God within you through the Holy Spirit. When you look at these things Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. When you read these things, this is the fruit of living your life persuaded and convinced by the Holy Spirit. And then what's, what does it say? It says, if you live that way, you won't carry out the deeds of the flesh. Can we stand? I'm going to land the plane. This is not a church that is just trying to make it on a Sunday. And we're just trying to just make it through the days we're living in. This is a church that says, Holy Spirit, what's my role to impact culture with the kingdom of God? What's my role? What do you have for me? If the source is the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. So my prayer this morning is very simple. It's this. Holy Spirit, would you show us and convince us and persuade us what it looks like to follow you in this hour. And for some of you, that's going to be when you begin to, to, to do your everyday life. You may notice things that just seems slightly off, take that moment, ask the Holy Spirit about it. What are you saying, Holy Spirit? What do you have in this moment? What are you saying? I wanna encourage you, engage the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. The Holy Spirit is not some weird, ethereal, charismatic thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the person of the Holy Spirit, which means you can talk to him. There's an intimate place for you to have relationship with the Holy Spirit that is inside of you and desires to continually come upon you. So Holy Spirit, I ask you, as we go forth from this place, that you would change our way of thinking in areas that we've been thinking more about, about ways of the flesh than we are the fruit of the Spirit. I ask you that you would show us ways that we've been acting more as a defeated church instead of a victorious church. I ask you that you'd show us ways that we've been just attempting to not do things when in reality you have a greater realm of freedom for us. So right now we break off any addiction or any deeds of the flesh. We just say no. And we say we will live our life empowered and persuaded by the Spirit. We're going to take Paul's words seriously, that he says, if you will live empowered by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. If He's your source, walk with your source. Lord, I ask you that you'd show us sources that we've elevated above the Holy Spirit. Thank you for fruit of the Spirit. I thank you for us walking in a greater level of love, a greater level of kindness, a greater level of joy, a greater level of peace, a greater level of patience, a greater level of gentleness, a greater level of faithfulness, and a greater level of self-control. Not on our own, but because you are empowering it in us. Because it's the fruit of of walking in relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit. That means it's not on me to try to produce all of these things. As I walk with the Spirit, the Spirit produces these things in me. And I find greater love for those around me. I find greater love for my enemies. I find greater love for those at work. I find a greater level of kindness. I find that because the Spirit empowers self-control within me that I can say no to any voice of accusation, any voice of temptation that tries to lead me down a road I don't need to go down. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to a greater level with your fruit of self-control? us, persuade us, Lord. We want to live empowered by the Spirit. We choose to walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desire of the flesh. thank you, Holy Spirit. I ask you, as we leave this place, that you would, we just, we ask you, we thank you for the fruit that you are producing in this body. We thank you for the fruit of the Spirit, and we just, we ask you that it would increase in us, Lord. That it would increase in us, Lord. That it would increase in us, Lord. says the darkness isn't even dark to you so why are we so caught up in the darkness instead of looking at the light darkness isn't even dark to you help us shift our perspective any perspective that's been more focused on the darkness rather than the light and of the spirit I ask you right now shift it shift our focus Allow us to turn from things that are leading us down a path we don't need to go and to look at what your Spirit is doing in us.